Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are going to preview the Phil Knight Legacy event at the PK85, uh, which is two events, uh, the Phil Knight Invitational, the Phil Knight Legacy. Um, I think the Phil Knight Legacy has the best field in the country. Um, and we're going to get into it, starting with the Thanksgiving Day clash between the Gators and the Xavier Musketeers. Florida played Xavier uh, last year in their final game in the second round of the NIT. Game uh, pretty much controlled from tip to finish by Xavier. Both teams have undergone a lot of changes since, um, including new head coaches. Xavier coached by Sean Miller. Florida by Todd Golden. We're going to get into that. We'll get into the rest of the field at Phil Knight Legacy, which includes um, Duke and Gonzaga. Uh, West Virginia and Purdue, among other teams. So just a bunch of elite brands. Wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett. GatorCountry.com. Eric, it's time for uh, the PK85 events, Florida in the Phil Knight Legacy event. Um, both the Phil Knight events start on Thanksgiving. And the Gators, um, they've got a, a tough task. You know, I think we've talked a lot about this game in the last few weeks, but uh, it's upon us, Florida and Xavier, on Thanksgiving. We have talked about it a bunch, but I, I've got to say that the difference between talking about this game right now in this podcast uh, versus when we were talking about in the summer, uh, man, being able to see the Savior team play, it has changed my opinion. I, I don't want to say a lot. I, I thought they would be good, but man, I, I love watching them play. I, I think they've been been excellent so far this season. Um, obviously it's, uh, it's quite early. And as you see, uh, generally with, uh, new coaches at the high major level, uh, they haven't tested themselves, um, a, a ton, I would say three kind of low major teams. And then, uh, they played one good team, which is Indiana and lost. So some people I think will say like, Hey, okay, they handled mid majors. They played one good team and, and, and lost. But I, I think just the, the way that they're playing, I, I, I think they're really good. I, I think that Sean Miller is, is excellent. Um, I know I have, you know, waxed poetic about a lot of coaches on this podcast over the uh, the number of years. And, and there's a few that that I've definitely had issues with some of their their off court um, ways of handling college basketball. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's proven in court or, or not. I, I, I can't keep it straight. But um, when it comes to uh, what's between the lines, I, I think Sean Miller is excellent. And I think he is coaching Xavier like a guy who, um, you know, had had some time off of college basketball and he's just unloading the clip of, of all the uh, after timeout, all the defensive concepts, all the offensive concepts. Like they are doing a lot of very, very high level stuff. And uh, I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Um, it's going to be a challenging one for the Gators for sure. Um, but I think just kind of, and it's from an aesthetic standpoint, I think with uh, a whole lot of eyes going to be on that game with this being the biggest tournament in, in college, biggest MT in college basketball, unquestionably, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very entertaining game and a great opportunity for the Gators to not only hopefully get a big time resume win, but also just get a lot of people 
really interested in what they're doing because there's going to be a lot of people watching this game. It's probably going to be a very, very aesthetically pleasing game. If the Gators can get a win. Um, yeah. There's, they're going to have a lot more attention, I think. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited for this game. Like, like you said, I really think that this is the best of the, the MTE fields, including the field on invitational field. Uh, I, I would prefer this field to that field. Um, you know, and with all due respect to the fact that <laughs> number one, North Carolina is in that other field. Um, but I think this field is just incredible. Uh, we've seen how good Gonzaga can be. Um, they're on the other side of the bracket, but just sticking with Xavier. Yeah. I mean, like Sean Miller clearly ready for his, you know, sort of second chance at, at being a college basketball coach, which he's really good at. Um, as long as he keeps it on the straight and narrow, we'll see how that goes. They looked dominant as you should when you play Montana, Fairfield and Morgan state. I mean, they just crushed those teams. Those are all sort of quad four games that they should win, um, but they won them in really convincing fashion. And then I thought um, they play, I mean, they played a game that I couldn't turn off the other night uh, against Indiana. Um, and it was just back and forth, incredible environment there in Cincinnati. Um, and, and Mike Woodson and the Hoosiers end up winning by two, largely because uh, their front court got the better of Xavier's front court in a game where both front courts were really, really good. And I think maybe that's where to start our preview, right, is Florida has been rightly super reliant on Colin Castleton. Uh, he has played like one of the best players in the country. You know, if the voting were today, four games into the season for SEC Player of the Year, he would win running away, I think, um, for whatever that's worth. Uh, but, I mean, he's been sensational. Now he goes up against guys that, that can play against him. He's going to get uh, Jack Nunjay, the seven-footer, transfer from Iowa, uh, who um, – it's just a really good basketball player. And then Zach Fremantle, who's just kind of like this worker bee that bothers everybody. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's where we start, right. Is, is that front court matchup and what Florida does to help Colin Castleton considering it's, it's really two bigs for Xavier. Yeah. I, and if you kind of remember the teams that Arizona um, had with, with Miller, they always played two bigs. Um, it was something that got them a lot of criticism, particularly after like losing to Buffalo in the, in the NCAA tournament. And, and I mean, we can debate the merit of playing two seven footers or a seven footer and a six ten player together um, in, in postseason play. Uh, it's almost like one of those things that is often considered not to be something that's best for postseason play um, or the NCAA tournament. If we want to talk both NBA and, NCAA, but uh, I, I much like as well as in the NBA and I'll say in college basketball, I still do think it can be a very, very productive regular season way to win. So Miller has always played two bigs. So going to play Xavier or now that he's coaching Xavier um, right away, you can see that heavy, heavy minutes are played with, you know, six, nine, two thirty Zach Fremantle at the four and seven foot Zach Nungy um, at center. So uh Two guys that are going to I, – I know we talked about this. How, is, how are the Gators going to going to help Castleton? Um, I, I think what will be interesting – well, we'll have to get to the defensive end for sure. But when it comes to helping Castleton, I, I, I think it's just going to be spacing the floor in a situation where if Xavier chooses to double, which they will often do, 
um, and was something that Zach, uh, Sean Miller's teams at uh, Arizona used to be. Uh, I, I think you've got to get in a situation where it's a point guard or a shooting guard that's going to double down on on Castleton. Um, people will also will, will know that that Sean Miller has been a little bit of a uh, of a pack line disciple, um, that style of defensive basketball. And like many of the great uh, pack line disciples, will will almost always double team, and usually from uh, uh, the Op, the lowest man on the, on the opposite side of the floor. So um, just kind of spacing wise that, that it, it, it'll be interesting to see exactly what the Gators do, but it might mean that, that they need CJ Felder to kind of hang out um, above the break, which isn't kind of what they're looking to do normally. But if they're looking to get these post touches or these kind of elbow touches for, for Castleton to go one-on-one, I just don't want it to be a situation where Castleton sees Seven foot Jack Nungy is his primary defender, and then seven or six foot uh, six foot nine Zach Fremantle being the one who who kind of helps over. I, I think it's going to be the first time that the Gators are kind of really uh, challenged from from kind of that part of things. And the last couple of years on the podcast, we had so much, uh, so we had a lot of problems with the way that the Gators kind of spaced around Colin Castleton, especially with teams that had a, a big four man who was allowed to double down on him aggressively. Uh, we don't want to see that, so. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if the Gators kind of go away from kind of some of their regular spacing to try to get that double team coming from a point guard um, or which, you know, could be a smaller player. And in, in, in the case of Xavier and a player we'll talk about later in, in Sule Boom, who is excellent offensively, not a massive frame to help down on Castleton. Uh, that's that's definitely something I'm kind of thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's great stuff. I, I, I wonder how often Florida will counter with a kind of heavier dose of CJ Felder, just cause you know, there's a lot of things that Zach Fremantle does really, really well. Um, you know, I think he's a really smart positional defender that kind of knows his limitations on that side of the ball. Um, and there is a reason why, like, if you look at the like less baked in algorithm at Bart Torvik, there's a pretty big disparity between Xavier defensively and Xavier offensively, which isn't to say, Look, when I saw them play Indiana, Eric, I saw a team that guarded pretty well. They just don't really turn you over. Um, and so when you get look, when you get more shots, you score more points normally. And so I think that hurts their efficiency rating a little bit. I don't think it's that they're necessarily a bad half court defense. Um, I think they're a decent to above average half court defense. Um, they just don't turn people over. So you're gonna probably get shots up. Um but, you know, Fremantle is going to be in, in position. He's going to do the doubles the right way. Um, and maybe Florida brings in C.J. Felder to sort of attack the glass and, and, and give him those sorts of problems. If you can maybe disrupt him defensively, you can disrupt him offensively. And they do run a lot of things through him because he's such a wonderful passer. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where where Miller has always wanted to play too big. So it's – and, yeah, they're they're not out there to be, you know – crowding the offensive glass like he's he's in there to to use them there's uh, a lot of actions and i think i'm going to tweet one out i just saw that i was waiting neil for you to just send the uh send the link to the podcast so like 10 minutes ago i was watching some some xavier film and they ran this nasty nasty um play where it's it's normally a 
kind of a rip screen to try to get a deep post up for Nunji, but teams started to guard it better because Indiana saw them killing teams with it. And then they had a counter to it. And it's uh, it's beautiful stuff. Um, I'll tweet that out later and people will probably see that before they listen to this podcast. But um, it's it's one of those things where like oftentimes they're they're looking for a back screen to, to get a deep post catch for one of their bigs. And if it's not there, the, the other big is going to flash to the high post where they can get that kind of high low action or that player can kind of swing it to the opposite side to to a shooter or a playmaker. So it's just kind of constant pressure from from the two big men where it's like you either you 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 usually well a lot of teams are going to want to kind of want to switch that kind of flex screen for that deep post up which of course can often be a size mismatch and then they'll work for a front so then they'll flash the other post to the high post which opens up that high low action uh it's just it's just constant constant pressure when you've got two big players on the floor like that and i think like you said too it's not like the balls are going to die in the hands of those guys going one-on-one they're they're good passers and i would even argue I don't want to say better passers than they are scores. I, I don't think either of them are outstanding post players um, from a scoring standpoint. I'd say they're both, you know, pretty good. But I think that uh, what definitely makes them dangerous is the fact that when they see double teams, they can hit open dudes. And they've also got some shooters on the Xavier team, which uh, is making them again, just look like uh, look like a very, very good offensive team. Like I said, haven't had a great chance to, to showcase it yet. Um but uh, I, I do think uh, the the numbers look good for their offense, and I would say that uh, looking at it aesthetically, I, I really like it as well. Yeah, no, that they, they um, I mean they they can they're one of the few teams now, and you mentioned the two bigs. I mean they definitely play inside out, um, which is also kind of rare in the sport <laughs> these days. Uh, they have a lot of high low actions. I'm sure that if you've been watching Xavier video, you. You've seen some of that, um, and it is. I mean, Zach Fremantle has 20 assists in four games, which is a whole lot for a four-man. Um, you know, it just tells you that, you know, he's not only is he a capable passer on a high-low action, but he's a good interior passer too. You know, Jackman Jay gets a lot of buckets right at the basket, as you'd expect with a seven-footer. Um, the other thing is that unlike Colin Castleton, like when Jack Jay does decide to shoot a three, it like goes in sometimes. Um, so, you know, he's five of nine from out there, so they can really be a spacing nightmare that way too, um, with the two bigs on the floor. And I think that gives them an advantage. And then we're going to get to their guards as we continue to talk about Xavier offensively 13th in the country in Bart Torvik's offensive efficiency rating. Um, that's pretty high. Uh, and we saw them operate at a really high clip against Indiana. What, what I, like I said, that was a sweet 16 caliber basketball game. It's one of the reasons that I love feast week so much. I mean, just what a wonderful game. Um, and the two guards that the do the most damage for them are Colby Jones. And then uh, you mentioned Sole um, boom, who's a UTEP transfer and a San Francisco transfer guy that Todd golden will be very familiar with a 38% career three point shooter um, is boom. And, um, shooting 62% out there this year. Those numbers are probably going to cool off, one would think. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they got some guys that can knock them down, and then Colby Jones can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, Sule Boom, I'm not sure exactly um, if Florida kind of really recruited him. I know they were definitely looking at him. I think he was probably just like Xavier from the start. But Sule Boom is everything I want from a mid-major transfer, like looking at his kind of statistical indicators and, and, and style of play 
for what transfers up from mid-major conference to high-major conference, like his ability to score in isolation, his ability to finish at the rim, um, really good pick-and-roll player, and an excellent shooter off movement. Like He was, like I think, the the top guard that I looked at when looking at mid-major transfers. So I really wanted the Gators to, to get him. I don't know how much uh, – I don't know how close they were. Um, but like you said, Neil, he was, he did start his career at, at, at San Francisco. Um, so, um, yeah, could, if we find out that the Gators, uh, you know, really did give, give a push, they didn't get him. It would, it would hurt because uh, he is, he's outstanding. <laughs> For um, sure. It's so, so someone who scored, has scored a ton of points, um, throughout his career, um, already averaging a ton this year and is, is just, again, just like when it comes to movement shooting, he's eight for 13 from the three point line so far this season. And, and, uh, it's not like he's just sitting there in the corner with his feet set. He's sprinting into screens, kind of sprinting, um, kind of like banana hooking around the arc of the three point line when that ball goes into the post. So, um, again, a Florida who hasn't been doubling, um, kind of has gone along yeah. more one-on-one, which I actually, you know, do appreciate. That's yeah. what I like to, that's what I like to see. Uh, but if they do choose to double, um, they just, that's someone who they have to be aware of. And they also will throw the ball into the post to, you know, look for a screen for someone like Sule Boom. So, um, he is my, uh, one of my favorite mid, well, I actually, I, I really think he was my favorite mid-major guard transfer this year when he went to Xavier. I once again realized that, Sean Miller was not messing around. Uh, and uh, yeah, so he's a, he's a player I'm uh, very concerned for, for the Gators standpoint, but uh, you mentioned Colby Jones. You want to talk, talk about him a little bit? Yeah. I mean, more of a, more of a classic three than, than a guard really um, more of a, and, and really more of a, a kind of classic three than a modern wing, because he's not really a guy that, that hits a lot of three pointers, Eric. Um, you know, he, I think he's over four on the season from out there. So um, but, uh, all that said, he, he was an all big East player. He was their actually their lone all big East selection in the preseason. And I think what sticks out to him is, is just his ability to drive the basketball, which has been a problem for the Gators, um, this season, his ability to drive and kick, uh, he leads Xavier in assist. He does not turn the ball over. Uh, he, he, gets a lot of the basketball for a three man. They run a lot of actions for him to get him moving downhill. And then he will either drive or kick or be just a prolific guy getting to the free throw line. Um, a top hundred player in free throw rate last year. And I think he shot, let me look 24 free throws this season in four games. So just one below uh Nunjay. He's, he's like, uh, he's such a fascinating player because, and again, like people are going to first hear this and it's going to make no sense at all. But like Neil said, like he's not a point guard, but he gets a ton of assists. I get nine assists in their opening game. Um, throw, he's like top 75 in the country in assist rate, but like he's not a point guard and doesn't really play like a point guard. Like again, it's just, he gets downhill and he always makes the right decisions. Again, he's been aided by, uh, a very good shooting Xavier team where it seems like, you know, when he does drive and kick guys are knocking down shots. So I'm sure there's a little bit of uh, luck or, or, or variance to a lot of his assists, but at the same time, it's, it's still also a lot of dump offs to the two big men, which again, when you've got two bigs, those are big targets to dump the ball to around the room when you're driving, but it's just, he, he just makes outstanding decisions. He's like every coach's dream when driving downhill, like he doesn't get that, like, blinders where he's just going to go to the rim no matter what uh he's either going to find a shooter or find that jump off pass or he's going to draw fouls like just a, a very good player i thought he was pretty good against the gators um in the nit game 
uh, a year ago. Not again, not super flashy, but you just like don't don't really notice him, and suddenly you're, you see at the end of the game he's got like twelve points and five assists. That's the Colby Jones um, experience, and yeah, in in three <laughs> games season he has nine assists, five assists, six assists, and uh, not really a point guard. So yeah, fascinating player. But when you add in like just kind of looking at 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 how this this Xavier team plays, it's like so again you've got like two big men a you know gunner who's also a really good ball handler and Sule boom this like outstanding driver decision maker in jones and then like you know ro- rotating guard between you know kai kai dandy and 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 desmond claude it's 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 not like it, it's so far it's like oftentimes it looks like a three-point guard two big lineup which is like right yeah pretty strange kind of like group of players where they they're not very switchy they're not very they don't have a lot of wings but uh so far, I think it's uh, I think it's made for pretty good basketball, but it'll be a very interesting mix going against the Gators, who like might who who have been playing you know more more wings and you know experimenting with more wings at the at the four and don't have as much ball handling, don't have as much pure size, but have um, ha- have more like wings. There's going to be some interesting matchups where the Gators might have a, a wing guarding Zach Fremantle and a wing guarding Sule Boom, and then of course on the other end it'll be like oh Zach Fremantle's might be guarding Will Richard. Or Sule Boom's going to have to guard um, Kwesi Reeves. Like it's 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 a very it's going to be a very very interesting kind of matchup game just because of the the different um, different I guess you know what would you call it in football packages that that these teams both use. Yeah, no, that's really well said, Eric. And I think it will be a unique challenge for Xavier too. Um, we spoke about the unique challenge of dealing with Zach Fremantle and uh, Jack Ninja. Who I mean, look. Zach Fremantle plays 33 minutes a game. So you know who Sean Miller thinks the, zoo, the the glue guy is, right? Like he's their leading minutes guy. Colby Jones plays the second most minutes at 30. Um, so those are the guys that are at 30 minutes or above um, in Sean Miller's like classic. I was at Arizona eight man rotation that he rolls with. Um, you know, they have played Desmond Claude, the true freshman, Um a little more than I think some people expected. He's getting like 19, 20 minutes a game. Doesn't shoot much, just kind of gets out there and defends and gives them another wing because they don't have very many of them, as you mentioned. Um, and and neither does Indiana really, like not that play. Like Indiana's roster that Mike Woodson is building, like you see that they kind of have like guys that fit that role, like like Race Thompson and, and Tamar Bates and Jordan Geronimo. Like they got a bunch of dudes that kind of fit that bill, right? But for the most part, it was just the Tracy Jackson Davis and, and Jalen Hood Shafino show. And it was kind of like, let's see what we can get out of Malik Renau, which that was painful to watch his productive <laughs> basketball game the other night. Um, and our bigs to just sort of slow them down. It wasn't a case where they just sort of wing Xavier's smaller front court to death. And I say smaller, like fully aware that Colby Jones is a grown man. Right. But like, away from him. I mean, Sully Boom is not a big guy. Um, you know, Adam Kunkel is another guard that they play that is, you know, they had him listed at six, four in the program and that's laughable. Um, and even if he's, even if he actually is six, four, uh, he's a string bean. So he doesn't play that big. Um, you know, I mean, he's the kind of guy that, that Kyle often can get physical with. Um, and then I think, you know, you mentioned, uh, the other guard, what was his name? Uh, God, Kai Kai Tandy, uh, mm-hmm. another guy that, you know, I don't think it is, you know, he's a little more physical a guard, but 
not tall, you know, 6'1", 190. So um, interesting to kind of see the like battle of, uh, I don't want to call their front court versus Castleton a mismatch because Castleton is Castleton. But it's two really high quality sort of power six players versus like a potential All-American to me. And then like, how does Xavier handle the wave of wings that Florida can throw at them? That'll be interesting. And again, Xavier is going to play, play that pack line a little bit, kind of clog things up and, and that'll be their way of kind of insulating a, who could very well be a faster player, whether it's um, whether it's Will Richard or whether it's uh, uh, Alex Fudge or, you know, to to an extent, CJ Felder um, kind of going downhill on a player like Fremantle, like they're going to sit in the gaps and, and kind of force the Gators to, to shoot threes. And um, you know, that's been, not quite what we would have expected from a Florida standpoint. I'd say it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a concern and you travel to the opposite side of the continent, really for the Gators to play on the road in a big building. I think, you know, shooting has got to be a little bit of a concern and with the way that uh, Xavier defends that they're going to, they're going to make that, uh, make that a thing. I think that they're going to try to just protect the rim at all costs. Um, you know, they're going to probably double down on Colin Castleton and they're going to dare some of these, some of these Florida players to, to knock down shots. So like, does Kwesi Reeves come out of a little bit of a, a a funk that he had last game? Does Myron Jones come out of a funk that started last spring? Like, um, does does is Trey Bonham? You know what well, we think he's he might be, and he showed flashes of like it, it's going to be some of these kind of uh, secondary auxiliary offensive pieces that are that are there to kind of finish plays with uh, with three point shots that I think are going to be uh, the spotlight's going to be on them. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think we get a lot of answers about Florida in a game like this. I mean, you're playing a team that, you know, I think most people had kind of like it's an eight or nine seed in the NCAA tournament. And when you watch them play Indiana, who most people have as like a three or four seed, um, you know, Xavier looked a little more like a five or a six than a uh, than an eight or a nine, to be honest. Now they were at home um, and they lost, uh, you know, but they were what tied when Colby Jones fouled out. Um, so, you know, right there with them, the whole game, pretty much a one possession game down the stretch the whole way, which is part of what made it so riveting. And I think um, it's a huge game for them too. I mean, I think they know that that Florida's going to be in the top half of the sec and um, that no matter what it's, it's going to be a chance for them to grab what, you know, if all things go not great for Florida, it's a quad two win for Xavier on a neutral floor, which never hurts. And, you know, in a, in a world that we think it is, it's probably a quad one win for either squad. Um, so, you know, I think just an enormous, enormous game. Um, and then, you know, as we've said, and this gets back to the conversations that we have had before, which is that when you look at this field uh, and you look at Florida's pod, it becomes a really big game for both teams too, in terms of how you evaluate, you know, what you can get out of this tournament. Now, I don't think this staff, or Sean Miller's staff are necessarily going to look at it like, man, we need to win this game so much because of the next two we want to play, but they're going to take it one game at a time, right? Like we just need to win the Xavier game or we need to beat Florida. But I mean, I think the reality is Florida's not necessarily guaranteed two high level games if they don't win Thursday. Oh yeah. To see, uh, to see Portland state just, just kill Oregon state the other day, um, man, that's uh, that's awfully concerning. And this is an event that we've been, you know, so looking forward to um, from a standpoint of uh, 
from a standpoint of, uh, oh, it's going to be a bunch of really good games at a cool neutral site. And it's just like pretty quickly, man, if Florida were to lose this game to Xavier, which I guess I'll remind people just or tell people like, so like Ken Palm has this as a one point Xavier win, just so people wouldn't need to contextualize what's expected. Um, and I'm sure it'll be reflected in the the betting markets if you're into that. But um, so it, it's going to be a very close game. And it's like, well, if Gators, if the Gators lose that one, and then suddenly see Oregon State, who might end up like 290th in Ken Palm this year. Like it just could very, it, it just could very quickly become uh, the exact opposite of of what we thought, where the Gators are playing a bunch of competitive games and able to uh, um, a, a, able to kind of even talk about intangibles, just get uh, get a lot of eyes on the team. It's like, well, you know, unfortunately, there will be no eyes on a Florida or Oregon state game. If that were to happen, unfortunately, as much as they're at the biggest, you know, empty in, in college basketball. So it's, it's a lot of pressure. And uh, I will say that I think Xavier's, I, you know, Neil, you can answer this or not. I don't know if you think Florida Atlantic or Florida state, who's the better team between them. Like, of course, like I factoring in injuries. Um, but uh, this is pretty clearly the best team. The Gators have, have, have faced. Um, we kind of mentioned that we didn't think that, it kind of feels like the Gators haven't, you know, played a particularly good game yet. Um, and now they're going to be challenged against uh, their best competition yet with the stakes being, well, if you lose this one, you've kind of squandered your chance at a bunch of good, uh, good resume opportunities. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's definitely, to me, it's definitely the best team Florida's played. And I, and I think Florida Atlantic is going to stay a quad two game. Um, I think the Owls are good. Um, and I have, I have said that I haven't defended, don't get it twisted. I'm not defending losing that basketball game by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, there's a reason that I did a schedule show and picked that as my like trap game. Mm. Uh, and you know, I mean, there's a reason I mentioned it to you as a game that was super intriguing and and you mentioned it as a game that you thought was intriguing and, you know, sure enough, it, it was not only intriguing, but, but a tough loss for Florida. So, um, you know, how do you, it doesn't necessarily kill them on selection Sunday by any stretch of the imagination, but it'd be better to play two big games here. And look, I think, you know, the second game, if Florida loses, is not going to be one that can do anything but harm the Gators terribly, uh, as you mentioned, because Oregon State is bad. They're not going to beat Duke. Um, and so, you know, Florida's kind of playing Duke in a huge resume boost opportunity, knowing that they'd get another resume game after that or they're getting Oregon state and they're going, man, I hope West Virginia is actually as good as they look, or maybe West Virginia beats Purdue and we get, you know, Zach Eady versus Colin Castleton, which I mean, I might faint, I might faint out of basketball feast week joy, <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, but man, I mean, you know, so that's, that's the thing. And so any, and anything can happen. Um, once you're in a loser's bracket too. So like, I, you know, even that game against like a West Virginia or Purdue isn't necessarily guaranteed the way that this bracket sets up. Although you would think that Florida would get a big game on Sunday. Um, and that'll be interesting too, Eric, because when you talk about these Sunday games at these MTEs, it's often like who can play the best fundamental basketball, right? Like, cause everybody's tired. So it becomes like a war of, you know, mental intangibles. And to me, like, rather than talk about, are they tough mentally? You know, you just kind of want to look at like, 
hey, how good have they been fundamentally? And for Florida, the answers are all over the place. Yeah, and I mean, if we're going to talk some of those kind of intangibles, I'm thinking about Oregon State playing a 2-3 zone at – you know, 10 a.m. or whatever that game's going to take place. Uh, the the loser of, uh, of, of this <laughs> right. game. So, like, yeah, that that that'll probably end my my Oregon State um, breakdown um, uh, for this podcast. Uh, but yeah, they play a lot of two three zone, and they're terrible. And it's just kind of the team that like you don't want to play before you know noon Eastern on uh, uh, in Portland because you, you never know what could happen. So, uh, and and I I would say too, I think that we probably came into the season thinking the depth was a big strength of the Gators. Um, now I'm not, I, I don't know exactly where I sit on, on the depth of the Gators. I still think there's some real good pieces. The Gators bring off the bench, but I don't know if it's some, some massive strength necessarily. So uh, how that kind of works out when you're playing three games in, in, in four days. Well, I guess we'll see, cause this will be the first kind of opportunity in, in, in this setting. But I, I think there's a lot of, you know, nervous energy for, for sure. I, I mean, even for us, just kind of talking about the, these, this, this weekend that could go uh, a host of different ways. Yeah. And to Eric's point, I mean, you're talking about a 1230 Pacific time tip. Okay. okay. Um, so, so finally <laughs> playing like, Finally playing like uh, closer to Eric's time zone, um, you know, out, out there. But but in any event, a 3.30 p.m. Eastern tip um, on Black Friday after so less than 24 hours after Florida game, Florida's game on Friday in thir- on Thanksgiving ends words. Um, the Gators uh, get out there and, and go again and could have to play some you know, hitching their giddy up two, three. So like, like Eric said against uh, Oregon state or, you know, to keep this, this uh, Phil Knight legacy preview rolling. Uh, they could play Duke who look, I watched the champions classic and I'm not trying to get anybody all jacked up on, you know, Neil's a Homer or a sunshine pumper, but like, if you're going to play this Duke team, play them in November or December. <laughs> I promise you. Yeah, they, even seeing that they haven't really been at full strength uh, to to see their kind of whole powers, and I think to some extent, uh, our biggest fears have come true. Where one of the things that was keeping Duke from being well, I guess this was this is heavily into my opinion. Um, how can I say this respectfully? I now feel like the under John Shire the Duke blue devils are now playing basketball that looks like 2022 and not 2002. (laughs) And now that they, and they still have the same level of talent. So now that they've got a approach to the modern game that I think perhaps a lot of Kentucky fans are hoping that they'll see from, from their group of future NBA players. um, I think they're going to be very scary. So, um, and I, again, I don't, I'm not even saying that I think Shire is some kind of genius. I, I haven't seen a ton for that's, I don't want to say, well, they're playing good basketball. I don't want to make any sweeping judgments either side on John Shire, but they are playing a style of basketball that is much more modern and playing to the strengths of future NBA players than previous years. And I think that they are going to be very dangerous for sure. So um, I would share, share that sentiment, Neil. And, and uh, that'll be a game that's that if the Gators were to play, it would be, would be fascinating because again, we just, we're, we're coming off several years where the Gators have not been relevant nationally. That's just the fact of the matter. And uh, if you can get uh, 
big neutral like that'll be the most watched game if the Gators were to play Duke that would be going on at that moment in college basketball um yep that's one that those are the games you you know one want to be playing in and two want to play your best basketball and hopefully get a win so that's the one where we're certainly hoping for and that's what uh what certainly makes uh makes the Xavier uh game so important but uh what have you seen uh you know you're in, you're in ACC country now Neil what are you seeing from from Duke well they they don't shoot great um <laughs> There's my, uh, how's that for some Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. uh, you know, like lingo. Well, they don't shoot the ball that dun, dad gum good. Um, they were three of 21 from deep against, uh, against, um, Kansas in the, in the champions classic, uh, Kansas was three of 19, by the way. So it was, it wasn't like, Nope. Okay. We're good. Uh, sorry about that guys. We had a little bit of a almost technical issue that wasn't. Um, so they don't shoot the ball that great. They did just get Derek Whitehead back. Um, which I think, um, I say back like he's ever played for them before they did get, uh, their best freshman on the floor. Uh, and Derek lively has only played. His first game was the Kansas game. So they're kind of slower. Sorry, I did lose you there for a bit. I don't know if you have me now, Neil, but you may have to just recap our our, our technical difficulty that that uh, wasn't just just was just for like thirty seconds there. Yeah, it sure was. Um, so what I was saying is is, and I, I apologize to our listeners that have to listen to this again. Um, so Derek Whitehead okay. just came just came back uh, or back playing his first game. Um, Derek Lively, their other top five freshman, has played two games. They are slow rolling him into lineups. He played about 18 minutes in each of those games. Um, they have steamrolled anyone that isn't Kansas, uh, including, I think, a really good Jacksonville team that might win the Sun Belt. Not even trying to be biased. Like, Jacksonville's just crushing people. Um, and uh, just absolutely dominated them. And then Kyle Filipowski is way better than I thought he was when I watched him on videos uh, talk about a guy that's a true spacing nightmare. Like he has legitimate range at seven feet, um, can knock down shots. He's a guy that will drag Colin Castleton away from the basket a bit. Uh, and then Jeremy Roach is sort of, you know, building off a great NCAA tournament and also playing like Kyle Lofton absurd level minutes um, for them. But it's still like Eric said, it's very, you know, it's just a more modern Duke. I mean, they're still like spacing the floor as beautifully as they did under Shizeski. They just run like modern actions now. Yeah. Uh, thank you for saying that again. And, and it was good enough that people will enjoy listening to it a second time. But um, 
I, I think again for for them, it's like as, as long as you're going to be young. I, I I just think young teams always shoot the ball not not very well. That's uh, not in a hundred percent of cases, but I think when you just look at college basketball on the whole, players get better shooting the ball as they get older and more experienced. So as long as Duke is quite young, they're probably going to uh, struggle to shoot a little bit, but um, uh, they are getting good shots and. Uh, um, if they can get, as long as they can get open shots, um, you know, I think they've got to be happy and, and they do have that legitimate kind of future NBA front court, um, with guys like Derek Lively and Kyle Filipowski, um, adding in Whitehead to whatever you want to call him wing front court and, and even the Northwestern transfer, Ryan Young, like they've, they've, they've got guys that are, they're very, very good on the glass. Tyrese Proctor, I think had 10, 10 rebounds the other day. So, um, that's the thing too, about Duke is they're still, they're still very, very physically, physically imposing. They're so big. Yeah, so, so big. Like, so it, it, imagining a situation where the Gators uh, win that first game with Xavier playing a team that's that that plays big. Um, they're dealing with another big time big time group with uh, with uh, with Duke. But um, again, it's like they're they're really big, but they're not just like putting two guys on the block and 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 ruining spacing and sitting on either side of the block setting little curls for, for guards. It's uh, they're, they're still facing. And of, of course, some of these big men have the, the ability to, to stretch it out a little bit and, and shoot, which, uh, um, and even Kyle Filipowski hasn't shot the ball super well yet, but uh, he's let a lot of them fly, which I think just tells you about, you know, the confidence that the, the coaching staff has in him. So uh, it's, it's going to be a situation where, yeah, I think the Gators are going to get spread out a little bit if they were to play them and uh, got a lot of guys going downhill and, and the Gators having to deal with, um, you know, catch and shoot threes from a team that's not great at shooting them. Um, but a team that also can really offensively rebound the ball. Um, of course it's like very early and this will not hold for the whole season, but Duke has a 48% offensive rebound rate. So they're grabbing, you know, nearly every other miss that, uh, that their opponents <laughs> have had, which is just comical. Um, you know, uh, I think they, 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 they out rebounded the defending. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go on, you go on. I was going to say they out-rebounded the defending national champions like 47 to 34 or 35. Or... Well, <laughs> it's, very, it's very different than what I was going to say, which is that they absolutely hammered the front court of Omar Payne and Osai Sifo on the glass and had 16 offensive <laughs> rebounds. So you, well, you, took you, it, you took it a very different uh, very different route than me. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and hey, look, they're playing the best team in Louisville tonight, <laughs> the Bellarmine Knights. Um, so, uh, that's my ACC. You can tell I've been writing about ACC basketball folks. Cause I just called the Bellarmine Knights, the best team in Louisville. And, uh, anybody that saw what that, what Kenny Payne had to roll out on the floor today against Arkansas at the Maui Invitational as we record on a Monday is going to know all about that. Um, but Bellarmine will be an interesting kind of challenge for them because Bellarmine is a team that can really shoot. And, like, I do wonder if, like, a team that can really shoot is going to give this new team problems at least early in the year. Um, and the one thing that Florida has had pretty consistently in their first four games, and I think this is true even factoring in one of those games was against 40 minutes of zone. And until the Florida State game, they hadn't really done anything exotic offensively, and they didn't do a whole lot of exotic stuff offensively in this Florida State game except – for a bit in the second half. Um, you know, Florida has been, as Eric put it on our last show, pretty vanilla uh, on offense, but because people keep shading and collapsing on Castleton, Florida's had open shooters. Um, 
and I don't know how much John Shire will help if Florida plays, uh, how much he'll help on Colin Castleton, but my guess is quite a bit. Um, and if they do that, Florida will have open shooters. Now Duke is so big and so long that those catch and shoots better be quick. But, um, you know, when you play great teams, that's kind of uh, the price of, of doing business. That's yeah, the games you kind of want to be in. And, and uh, again, that's something that I think that probably like, man, if you're listening to this podcast and you listen to one hour Florida basketball podcasts, um, you've been with us through the off season. I, I am sure one thing you are just hoping for is for the Gators to be relevant nationally. I think that that's one thing that, again, even talking to a lot of, um, casual Florida basketball fans who would love to have something to care about after the football season. Um, one thing that they've just struggled with is that like when they talk to their friends who are fans of other college basketball teams, or if they turn on sports center, or if they consume college basketball media in any form that the, the Gators have just not been a talking point. I think that that is something that could really grab a lot of the casual fans um, is, is, you know, beating teams like Duke. I mean, of, of, of course, you know, of course beating Duke would, would kind of draw those people in. And uh, you of course uh, avoided a little bit of disaster by, by not losing to a rival in Florida state. Um, you get that win against survival. Well, the next thing you can do is beat a blue blood. So that of course don't want to get ahead of ourselves, have a game with Xavier that, um, the Gators will probably be favored to lose and uh, just by just barely, but uh, man, the, their, their award of, of beating a really good Xavier team to get the opportunity to, to play a team like Duke. Um, that's pretty huge. So um, that's why we're so excited for this thing. Absolutely. The other side of the bracket, um, you know, Eric and I kind of discussed, we're not going to get too deep into that uh, other side of the bracket, but it, it features, um, you know, the best program to not win the national championship, um, Gonzaga. It also features, uh, you know, um, a Hall of Fame head coach in Bob Huggins in West Virginia. I mean, this field is so awesome. Uh, and then it features a coach who I think Eric and I both love, um, at least as I recall, uh, Matt Painter and his Purdue team. And they just run some of the best offense you know, period, like on either continent that plays this sport at a really high level. Um, so, and they have Zach Eady who rules uh, the universe um, as like seven, four and skilled. Uh, so I'm really looking forward. Like I'm going to watch that game's at 10 on Thanksgiving uh, Eastern time. So it's not the late, late game, which is the Zags. Um, but, but that West Virginia Purdue game is going to be really fascinating. Yeah, contrast and styles for sure from a West Virginia team that's going to be very physical and and play really good defense and a Purdue team that I would say is kind of all offense. I I don't really love how it's like. Okay, so I'll say this: I think Florida side of the bracket is is a lot stronger. I, I I do really like Gonzaga. People will know that we are you know fans of the Gonzaga program, but I don't think this is as good as the Gonzaga teams there's been the last couple of years. I think this right. Purdue yeah. team is just very strangely constructed. Um, and, and again, this was kind of like for people who followed the transfer portal, which I'm sure, you know, I know a lot of people did because Florida was very involved. It was kind of a running storyline that like Purdue was just missing on like every point guard target they were after. So I don't think the point guard play is, is, is very good. They've got a, you know, a nice freshman in Braden Smith, but, uh, he's still just a freshman for a team that was like, you thought was going to return Zach Eady and, and hopefully have a chance at, you know try to win the big 10 or something. And, you know, they got David Jenkins who struggled to get off the floor or get on the floor for, for Utah after being at UNLV. And before that, um, 
uh, South Dakota State. So, like, I just don't really love how Purdue's kind of team is constructed. But Zach Eady's awesome and Matt Painter is awesome, even though I don't think he's awesome at building a roster. And then, again, yeah. West Virginia West Virginia has is, is committed to the bit. Like, they get good, strong-nosed, like, defensive players, and they're going to um, – not always have the, the the best offense. And uh, I, I think when you look at the players they got, such as, uh, you know, a former Frank Martin player at Eric Stevenson, I think that just tells you a lot about the way that their kind of, you know, team is constructed. So um, some really good coaching on that side of the floor um, and still some like good, good teams. But uh, I, I think the Florida side of the bracket, whoever comes out of Florida side, I, I think is gonna gonna win this thing. But uh, I don't even remember if we were trying to talk specifically about Purdue to to, to start this thing. Um, but uh, oh, I, think no. said, I think you said it best. With, uh, just like uh, a ZD Castleton matchup would be just incredible. There's gonna be again the casual Florida basketball fans. If that game were to happen, would who maybe don't follow college basketball on the whole, we'll, we'll, we'll watch the opening tip and say like, Oh, what the hell is it? Like, they'll have no idea what's, what's going on when they see Jack <laughs> um, for sure. Um, I, I, I do think the team we probably, you know, should talk about unless you have any hot takes, I think the favorite and who I think would win the side would be Gonzaga. Woody, yeah. And, you know, Gonzaga, of course, on a, bigger scale of college basketball has been quite a discussion point as they always are in non-conference play because it's Gonzaga and they always play a really tough non-conference schedule. What, what do you think about the Bulldogs and, and what you've seen so far this season? Well, let me say something real quick is that I think West Virginia will beat Purdue. Um, okay. And uh, so I did want to get that in. And I thought it was funny, like West Virginia was finished, pick, picked to finish fourth in the big 12. And they're kind of like a team that's like in that nine seed range in most bracket bracketology and i think it's because they don't have like huge high-end talent i mean they're like eric stevenson is like a high volume shooter for them right um it was so funny because huggy bear like rolled into big 12 media days with his like skullet and was just like look man um i love this team i got six seniors in my rotation you know like and they start five seniors and they like have all been in the system for multiple years and it reminds me of the old press Virginia teams that didn't always have super high level talent, but made the sweet 16. Like these are the teams that Bob Huggins maxes out. And I think they're going to show some of that this week in Portland. I don't think they're good enough on a talent scale to win, but like one game against a Purdue team who I agree has kind of an oddly constructed roster. Like that could be a kind of rude awakening for Purdue about some of those roster deficiencies because West Virginia ain't going to beat themselves. Um, as for the Zags, uh, man, it's so weird. Like, you know, they had these two great wins. Um, and especially the win over Kentucky was just so dominant. Uh, but what did you think of, of the way that they just kind of got run out of the building by Chris Beard and, and Texas that, that doesn't happen to Gonzaga very much. These, uh, these Gonzaga guards, I just don't think are up to the caliber of Gonzaga guards that we're used to. I think they're okay. Like, I'm not going to be hyperbolic and say they all suck, but I just don't see the difference makers. Um, I, I don't see an Andrew Nemhard, um for even, you know, for one example. Uh, but I, I just see guys that are struggling to shoot the ball, don't really create space, um, with the exception of Sir Bolton, who shoots the ball really well. But guy, guys that just, like, 
don't have a lot of electricity, but they're also not great playmakers. Like I think when you look at Gonzaga guards in the past, just as an example, but if you also just say like, well, what makes a successful guard in college basketball? It's like, you know, you're either super electric off the dribble or you can hit shots or you can um, be an awesome playmaker and distributor. I just feel like a lot of the, like all their guards are just like with the exception of Bolton, who can shoot the ball really well. I just feel like a lot of their guards live in the gray area of like, not really falling into any of those buckets. I, I, I just, it's, it's not just like, I think it's really easy to be like, Oh, this doesn't look like Gonzaga. And therefore I don't think they're very good, but it's like one of those situations where I don't think this team, you know, quote unquote looks like Gonzaga, but it's also in a way that, uh, I, I just don't, I, I, some, some of these guards are just like, it's, it's kind of the thing where it's like, for example, if Florida was looking at, you know, any guard in the future, we talk about like, okay, well, are they, can they make really good decisions with the ball? Are they really electric or can they hit shots? And you kind of want them to be able to do, you know, at least one of those things and preferably two. It's a couple of these guards that I just think are, you know, really good college players, but not a lot of great. So I think it's Drew Timmy and a lot of really good players. And again, they're, like they're third in Ken Palm and I think they're number one in offense. So like, I don't, again, I don't want to be hyperbolic and be like, these guys stink. Um, Cause that's certainly not the case. I, I still think they're going to be really good this year and a high seed and it's going to be deserved. Um, but I've been someone who's very much been on the side of like, I think they're a national title contender the last couple of years. And I don't think I like, I personally would be very, very shocked if this was a team that won the national title this year, which is, uh, says something about the program. If that can be the talking point, that can be the strong, the strong hot take and be like, wow, I, you know, I don't think this team can win a national championship. Uh, that's kind of where, you know, Gonzaga's out of the program, but that is what I think about them. And, um, I think that they'll, I think that they'll advance to the final, of this uh of the event this weekend um because i do think they're better than purdue or west virginia but yeah uh, i think that they'll probably lose to, to whoever they see next yeah no i i mean i think that's a a strong take i mean i think they would probably beat the gators if the gators somehow you know rolled into that championship um but you know i wouldn't be surprised to see xavier beat them i wouldn't be surprised to see duke beat them at all um you know, for me, like as great as Drew Timmy is, and and you mentioned their guards, I think the real wild card is is Strother, right? Like the guy that Mike White recruited to replace Keontae Johnson, <laughs> um, and he he kind of is like Keontae, but an inch taller. Uh, very similar player, um, at least when I watch him. Um, he's a guy who can hit a shot. He's a guy who can attack a closeout. Uh, you know, really bouncy. Um, Getting better defensively, it's the best. The Kentucky game is the best I've ever seen him guard. Um, and I think Mark Few knew it because he didn't take him off the floor. <laughs> um, but uh, he seems to be kind of the wild card like the difference between like Gonzaga being out in the Sweet 16 or having another chance to go to another Final Four. Yeah, that, that's fair to say. And, and again, I do think that Mark Few is, is, is really good, a really good coach. And uh, I think you even saw in some of their uh, some of the games this season where I think he probably got the best of, of Tom Izzo, who's also a great coach to win a close game. And then I thought their, their game plan against Kentucky was excellent. And then they dismantled Kentucky, which I'm sure we'll have Kentucky you know, <laughs> discussions uh, later this year um, they got before, problems. Before, even the Gator, before even the Gators face them. But uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be well coached and like, you better believe that that crowd is going to be, uh, it's going to look like a Gonzaga home game, which I think is also, maybe I should have factored that in when, when thinking about, uh, 
what happens in, in, in the final game or, you know, everything before that, but it's going to be a very, very pro Gonzaga crowd there for sure. And uh, that's going to make it tough for whoever they play. Well, I should have mentioned that, you know, Todd Golden had a knack for playing them pretty close at San Francisco too. So like mm. he certainly, you know, this staff has played Gonzaga plenty. They, they haven't beat them, but they played them plenty. Uh, so if Florida did make it to the final and, and, you know, I think they would have a plan. That's for sure. And I do think it's one game where Florida wouldn't like, I think the one thing that I like about this bracket for Florida is that like outside of Jeremy Roach, there's nobody on any of these teams necessarily in my view, Eric, maybe you disagree with me and that that's fine. I don't think Florida's guards get outclassed. And I hmm. think in the sec, there will be a couple times where Florida, a big problem for them is that they're not going to be as good at guard as the other team. And like by a decisive kind of measure. Yeah. I never thought about that. I, I would have to agree again. Like I just went off on how I didn't think that uh, Purdue's guards were very good. And I think the Gators, you know, were able to handle Eric Stevenson. Okay. When he was at South Carolina. So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to agree with you that like, I think you're more looking at the, the, you know, Zach Eadie's a, and Andrew Timmy's it's a lot of these true five men or, you know, Filipowski for, uh, for Duke. So, um, right. And like, yeah, Florida's that, like, cool. We're, we're bringing our all American five, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I've got to say too, like, wouldn't that not be just a very fun matchup to see Drew Timmy play Colin Castleton where it's like oh, pure, man. pure footwork and like against Colin Castleton's like, you know, length, like, I, I would love yeah. to see that that matchup, and then you know on the on the other end, not that I you know particularly care to see Drew Timmy guard Con Castle. I mean, I from a Florida standpoint, I would love to see that, but uh, um, I do think that uh, you know the the defense of Con Castleton versus the offensive of Timmy would be would be fascinating. Yeah. So hey, let's 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 hope we see that one because that would mean a very successful weekend for the Gators. No, it sure would. Um, I think this is a a super fun event. I am picking Duke to. Cut down the nets for the second consecutive time at a PK event. Um, I know that one probably still stings some of our listeners who uh, watched that epic championship game where, you know, unfortunately, Kayvon Allen's magic ran out about 10 minutes before the game ended. Um, And so Florida was unable to win uh, the PKA. But the Florida certainly put on a show out there the last time they were out there. And and I know Todd Golden. I mean, you talk about just a basketball junkie that has waited for this type of job his whole life. I mean, I can't imagine how jacked up this staff is to, to head out there and play. Yeah, these are the reasons that you 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 want to work at a school like Florida. I think that's there, there there's two things that I, that I you know really think that is there are two things that I especially think that mid-major coaches really want to experience by going to the high major level. And we joked about one of them with, with, uh, you know, Todd Golden, when he came on the podcast that like, you want to be the guy that walks into a gym and like just grabs a recruit that some mid-major coach has been working on for a year. Um, and you also want to play in the marquee events. Like those are the two things that I think, you know, mid-major coaches want to go to the high major level to, to experience. I think that's going to be huge. And then you factor in like the opportunity to play a team like Duke with all due respect to the other prestigious coaches. I'm like, Hey, it would be a great to also go against a future hall of fame coach and current hall of fame coach. I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll say future hall of fame coach for Matt Payne, or I didn't think too strongly about that one, but um, just, yeah, you know, to look like, across the sideline, it's a very good coaches and, you know, and then, or, or Mark few is going to be a hall of famer as well. Like, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like those, that, those are all really cool experiences. And uh, 
Um, I, I think that like I kind of mentioned even too about how watching Sean Miller coach for Xavier, I just thought you could kind of see the, the energy of a guy that wishes he's been at the high, you know, been coaching and um, has been kind of waiting for his opportunity to show everything that he's learned. Well, I'm pretty sure that even like the opportunity to go against, uh, you know, Xavier or Duke at the, at, you know, the, a big event like this, like that's going to be the opportunity for, for golden to also show that like, he really feels like he can uh, belong at this, at this level. So uh, I, I also still think that probably like, I, I, I don't know exactly where I rank Florida's game against Duke or sorry, against Gonzaga at the, at the PK 80 in terms of my like favorite games I've ever watched of, of the Gators. Um, but it was certainly up there. So, Hey, if we can have any, uh, any legendary games like that, any, any double overtime thrillers, you know, that'd be all right. Yeah, no, it'd be fantastic. I would note for our um, listeners that, you know, one other disadvantage of going right into the losers bracket for Florida would be that uh, they would actually have to switch venues uh, for one of the games, which, gosh, you never want to do that in these events because, like, you, it's it's so, like, important to just figure out what your shooting background is and stuff. Um, and I guarantee you that the shooting venue – uh, shooting background at like the child center auditorium is not as good as it is at like the Rose garden where the blazers play. Uh, so, you know, a fifth place game um, <laughs> in the child's auditorium, the like potential Zach ED Colin Castleton throwdown would be like in a different venue and start like early in the day. And so Anyway, all sorts of reasons that Florida wants to win on Thanksgiving. Just a huge basketball game for, for the Gators. I'm sure the staff is aware of that. As Eric said, that's why you come to Florida. And um, I'm just really looking forward to it. hope everybody has a wonderful and happy and safe Thanksgiving. Um, and I will let Eric sign us off. Enjoy, everybody. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.